Well, good morning. Thanks to Gordon for the welcome. Lovely to be with you again here at your services in Windsor Baptist Church. We are turning, as Gordon has said, in our Bibles this morning to John chapter 17. So if you have a Bible with you, please turn with me there. Last week, we started to look at this wonderful prayer of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 17, a prayer that has so much to teach us about the wonderful relationship that exists between the Father and the Son. And it also shows us how much Jesus loves his people as he focuses on their spiritual well-being in spite of the fact that he's headed towards the cross and the agony that that will mean for him. And as Jesus prays here, we see that he prays for his followers. Yes, the followers, the disciples who were with him while he walked the earth, but also for those who would subsequently come to faith on the testimony of believers and following generations. As we were thinking last week that for those of us who are trusting in Jesus as our Savior, that includes us. Jesus, as he prayed here in John 17, was praying for us as well. So we're going to break in to this prayer at verse 13 this morning. So look with me at John 17 and verse 13. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. I wonder, are you good at taking pieces of advice? Sometimes we get good advice, sometimes we get bad advice, sometimes we listen to it, and sometimes, yes, we listen to it, but we just let it pass out the other ear. That was co at college. There's been many pieces of advice. Nigel, don't think he's here this morning so we can talk about him, but Nigel was always very keen to stress to, to watch your diet and watch what you ate. When you're at college, as you can see, looking at me, that was one piece of advice that I didn't take on board the way that I should have. But as I've traveled around other churches, 
uh, and had the privilege to speak there. It's been good to meet with different people in different churches and different areas. And one piece of advice that an elder in a very large church, a busy church, gave to me, he said, be careful, Paul, that you don't get so caught up in doing that you forget about the being in life. Don't get so caught up in the doing that you forget about the being in life. What he meant was that life can be so busy. Even church life and spiritual life, can, Christian life can be so busy as we're involved in many, many things, getting on with the routine week by week, that we forget about the fundamentals. We forget about the life that God calls us to live for him and for his glory. And so Jesus, as he prays here in John chapter 17, surely he reminds us that yes, it's important to be doing, important to be living in the world for his glory, serving him, but it's equally as important that we should be the disciples that he wants us to be. And so he's, we've highlighted three characteristics last week that he prays for, for his church in this great prayer in John 17. Last week we thought about how we should be a joyful people, how we should be a holy people, and how we should be a people of truth that focus and commit ourselves to the truth of God's word. And so we move on this morning to look at a further three characteristics of the church that we want to suggest that Jesus prays for. And the next one, the fourth one, can be seen in verse 18. As Jesus prays, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I want to suggest that Jesus prays that the Christian church should be a church that is marked by mission. The word missions mean, mission means to send or to dispatch. A mission is a sending forth. And just as Jesus was sent forth, sent by the Father on a rescue mission to save people from their sins, so too... Christ reveals that he sends us as Christians on a mission to tell folk about this rescue mission of Jesus as the only way that people can know true acceptance with God. We all know that Jesus sent his disciples as witnesses. We read his words recorded in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and in the ends of the earth. Yes, they were to work at home and then the gospel was to go forth to spread out across the world. And just as Jesus had been sent into a dangerous and a broken world to live among hurting and broken people, so Jesus wants us as his followers to go out into that same broken world and to carry on his work. That's not an easy thing to do. Jesus knew that as he lived life here on earth, but he also knows it wasn't going to be easy for his followers. In verse 14 of John 17, he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. The world hates those who stand for truth, which is why Jesus knows that we need God's help. We need God's grace if we're going to be a people who stand for truth, but people must be told about the way of salvation 
If they're to be sure of this eternal life, the eternal life that Jesus describes in verse 3, he says, now this is eternal life that they may, they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's the message that Jesus calls us to share. But I wonder, is that a priority in your life and in mine? Is that something we hold high to in what we do day by day, that people that we come into contact with come to know this one true God through his son, Jesus Christ. It's great to come here and over the past two weeks to just be reminded of the focus of mission within Windsor Baptist Church. It's great to see that, the willingness to send and to support folks overseas. And I hope you continue to do that we've heard from Ruth this morning, we heard from Adam last week, what an encouragement it is to them to know that they're being prayed for, to know that they're being supported practically by folks back home. But we need to be careful at times that we don't use that as our get out of jail card when we're, talk, when we're told in God's word to be involved in mission. You see, we've got to be involved in mission, supporting it financially and prayerfully, but that mustn't be enough for us. You see, God wants us to be involved in his world where he has placed us. How are we to go about that mission? Well, as verses 18 and 19 tell us, we're to be like Jesus was when he was in the world because Jesus compares himself both in the area of having been sent by the Father into the world and of his being sanctified or set apart totally to that work. He says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. We are to be about or work in this world as Jesus was and his mission. We're to be like the one that we are representing as we rub shoulders with the world, with folk that we work with, with our families, with the community we're part of day by day. We're called, yes, as we were thinking last week, to live holy lives, lives that are set apart, lives that are different, but not lives that withdraw from the world. That's why Jesus prays that we would be protected while we're in the world. We're not called to live in a bubble. We're not called to go away and live on a hill as a monastic community like monks. But we're called to interact with people, with the message of the gospel, so that we would infiltrate them, so that we would have an impact on them rather than culture, as we were saying last week, always rubbing off on us. I wonder, have we a concern for the situation of people in the world? Are we concerned that they're lost? Yes, we go with a message that Jesus came to save them from their sins. But in saving, coming to save them from their sins, he was coming to save them from the judgment of their sins, the punishment that they deserved, that each of us as Christians deserved, he came to take the wrath of God in our place. Alistair Begg challenges us with the thought that when the church grows soft on the notion of judgment, then any real sense of urgency in evangelism will be missing. Might we realize the challenge of God's word, the truth that Jesus is coming back one day, the wonder of that, but the fact people need to know the message of salvation. And Jesus prays that as we go into the world, that we would be committed to this mission, just like he was. 
And yes, in that mission, might we go on to encourage families and folks we know here in the church as they go out? I know Ho and Laura Jane very well. Continue to remember them, support them. Andrew and Ruth, Adam and Lynn and others. And that mission takes place in Japan, in Morocco and in Spain, yes. But it's also to take place where God has placed us. And so as we go out the door this morning, do we look around us and think, this is where God is sending us on his mission. As we leave our homes day by day, do we think, God can use us today and ask him for his help to lead us to others, to speak for him, to share the gospel with them as we go to share this wonderful message. Might we pray as Jesus did that we would be faithful in the mission that he has sent us on. So Jesus prays that we'd be a joyful people, a holy people, a people of truth, a people of mission. And then as we turn to verses 21 to 23, we see Jesus prays that we would be a people who are united. He prays for his followers there that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. If we're all honest, we know at times it can be very difficult to live with Christians. It can be hard and Jesus knew that we were all different, different by way of our personality by things we were interested in, by our lifestyle, even the means and methods that we use in our Christian work and evangelism. Jesus knew of our differences and yet he prays for our unity. In Christ's handling of this and praying for this, he makes it clear that it's important. Just like joy, holiness, truth and mission, unity isn't an optional extra among the church of Jesus Christ, it's essential within the Christian community. And in one sense, we are united. We're united in Christ, but there's also that sense that we have to keep working at our unity. We have to keep building on it. And that doesn't happen by looking at folks and thinking, well, I've got more in common with them. I'll spend all my time with them and those other folks can get on with those that they have more things in common with. We need to make an effort and living in unity with our brothers and our sisters. Maybe we need to take a step back and see God's people, how he sees us. The example that the disciples are to follow in verse 21 is a very high one. Jesus says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. When we think about the subject of, of the Trinity, Sometimes we shy away from it because we, we don't understand everything there. But as we think about our God, the Bible makes it clear that our God, that there is one God. Our God is one, perfectly complete. Yet the Bible also tells us that that one God is three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, but one God, each person of the Godhead having a different role. 
realizing that the Father isn't the Son nor the Holy Spirit and, and vice versa. And yet in spite of their distinctive roles, they are perfectly united as one God. And so as we see Jesus pray here, you are in me and I am in you, we see that the members of the Godhead mutually indwell one another. The three persons are one divine being. I've been helped by reading Tim Chester's book on the Trinity, and he says each person of the Trinity shares the life of the other two. So in each person, the being of the one God is fully manifested. The eternal God in himself is a mutually indwelling, loving community. And so you ask, well, what's that got to do with us today? You're just showing stuff maybe that you've learned at college. Well, no, I'm not. The Bible says that we are made in the image of this God, a God who is one, while at the same time, three persons. Tim Chester goes on to say, in the Trinity, the one and the many are perfectly integrated. And he argues that this is how the church should be because we're modeled on that triune community. The one and the many, he says, should be integrated. God is diverse in three persons, and we too are diverse persons with our own individuality, yet God is one, and so we too have a communal identity. He says Trinitarian Christianity offers a way of being human together that integrates unity and diversity. As Christians, we're never called to be clones of one another. You're never to be identical to the person beside you. In church, we are distinctive in a number of different ways. But we're also called to be a people in community. A people who are united together without losing their personal characteristics. That idea of unity is very prominent in Scripture. The Bible uses many words to describe what we should be like as a community. Words like family. Family speaks of relationship, and we don't have any choice who our fellow brothers and sisters are in Christ, in Christ, in the church. But we need to love them as God loves them. God commands us to love them, and surely we should strive to love our brothers and sisters and be united to one another, interacting fully in each other's lives, not because it pleases us, but because of what, it's what God calls us to. Another word that's used for a right relationship between believers is that of fellowship. Fellowship speaks of sharing, having something in common, and certainly as we're united in Jesus, we share in that fellowship. As we come around the table shortly, we come to share together because of our common identity in Jesus. But James Montgomery Boyce helpfully says, fellowship is not just what we share in together. It also involves what we share out together. And this means that it must involve a community which actually share their thoughts and lives with one another. I wonder do we see fellowship in that way? As speaking into others' lives, encouraging them, and going deeper than about talking about football, about weather, about a range of things. Do we want to be involved in folks' life spiritually, encouraging them through God's word and letting them encourage us through God's word? 
It's interesting as we think about the great apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, 11 to 12, he writes and he says to his, his audience, he says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Yes, Paul, we would expect him to go and encourage the believers, but he too is desiring and longing to be encouraged by them. That's what fellowship is together, sharing out together as well as sharing in. But as well as being a family, as well as being a fellowship, a common thread that we know of in God's word is we're described, as God's church are described, as a body, a body working together, playing their part because there's an interdependence. We depend on one another. The greatest work done within a body is done when all of us work together in unity. If we're going to serve God here, wherever he has placed us, then we're called to live in unity and we'll have more success. We'll work better as we work together for God's glory. And as we close off thinking about unity, I challenge us, do I need to think differently about my brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you? Might we pray that God would help us to live this way? You see, there's a clear purpose God has that as we live in unity. In verse 23, he says, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Our unity is a witness to the world around us. As we live together in unity, the world around sees the reality of the gospel working in our lives, in us, and through us, the fact that God loves us and sent his son Jesus. What a message to live out before a watching world. Jesus was passionate as he prayed that we would live rightly, that we would be Christians, that we would be a church that he wants us to be living with joy and holy living, living a life of truth, be concerned about mission and involved in mission and live together in unity. But the final mark that we want to highlight, and our time is almost gone, that Christ prays for is seen in verse 26, where he prays that we would be a people characterized by love. You see, love for God is essential as we think of God's great love toward us. But as we think of mission, we should be motivated. We need love to be motivated to love the people that we rub shoulders with day by day. A world, yes, that can be antagonistic toward us, but a world that we're called to go to and share this good news of the gospel. We need love for that. We also need love if we're going to build in this unity with one another in the church together, representing our God and speaking to a world outside. Jesus has made it so clear that love must be preeminent in our lives. He says in John 13, 34 to 35, a new command I give you, love one another. And then he gives us the way to gauge it. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's what Jesus says in verse 26. He says, I've made you known to them. That is, he's made known God's essential nature. He goes on to say, and I'll continue to make you know in order that the love you have for me may be in them. 
and that I myself, I myself may be in me. If we know God, then we'll know God's nature as that was being, of being characterized by love. We know that throughout the Bible. God took a people to himself in the Old Testament, the people of Israel. He set his love upon them, even though there was nothing in them to merit it. Throughout the New Testament, God's love is revealed as we look at the life of Jesus, as we listen to his teaching. But greater than that, we see God's love shown for us at the cross. That well-known verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, shall not perish, but have eternal life. God's love, so clear at the cross, but it's not enough for us just to know about this love. It's not enough for it just to be a head knowledge. Jesus prays that we would show this love on a personal level. You see, Jesus knew that it was only through us as his followers, as his true followers, that the world could see his love for them. We've got to have a love, a love that's real, a love that's in action. Our lives, you see, should be transformed as we think on God's love for us. And as that love works itself out in the places God has put us. We started off by saying about how important it is to be as well as doing things. We need to be the church that God calls us to be. And as we think about love, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He told them that they can be so busy doing many things. They can speak in tongues. They can prophesy. They can have so much faith that moves a mountain. But he says, without love, these things are futile. These things are a waste of time. And then he goes on to tell us what love is. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's quite a high bar. I wonder how you live up to that day by day. I know I don't. I fall so far short of that. I don't know if you've ever had the rock group Bon Jovi quoted in the pulpit here in Windsor, but they once sang a song, You Give Love a Bad Name. I wonder as Christians in the light of the description of love given here in 1 Corinthians 13, I ask myself, do I love this way as I should? Not just those who are close to me who are, or who love me back because they agree with me, but those who I find more difficult to love. Do I, do you show these characteristics of love? Or like the song says, do we give love a bad name? You see, love isn't our natural default. It takes work. It takes effort. We need to take time to love people, to share in their life, to serve them, to realize that life isn't all about us and our wee world. The Apostle Paul said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Jesus, 
who laid aside, who didn't think so much of his status as God, but he remained in heaven. No, he laid it aside so that he could come into this world and show that love as he gave his life there on the cross. His desire was to love his God and to love his people by giving his life for them. I wonder, do we need to make some adjustments in our life where love is concerned? We can't do it on our own. And Jesus knows that. That's why he prays to God. And we need to come to our God through Jesus because our Savior is the only one who has ever lived this life of love that we are called to. And as we live our Christian lives in the risen power in his risen life, allowing God to work in us, then we'll be conformed more to his image, to serve folk, to listen to others, to encourage one another in our Christian walk, which we know day by day can be such a struggle. As we look at John 17, there's so much that we can learn. Might we remember that Jesus' prayer shows his passion that his Father would be glorified in his life, but also in our lives as his children. Jesus prays that each of us would be true followers, that we would live lives that are joyful, lives that are holy, lives that are based on truth, lives that are missional, lives that are lived together in unity, and lives that show love. Let's be busy serving our God, but let's never be so busy that we forget about what we're called to be. And let's pray like Jesus did, that we would live according to this pattern as we seek to live for him day by day.